It is the 200 level episode 92. Mike Carpenter here on a Wednesday morning in the basement for what will be a three podcast week. It's going to be one of those busy weeks of the 200 level. And part of this was a guest that we're going to have today that I had reached out to, I want to say, Sunday evening. A friend of mine from high school, Antonio Adams, who is also the co-host of the A Squared podcast, which I highly recommend listening to. And I remember Antonio from high school. He went to Illinois State. I went to the University of Illinois. And we haven't had a lot of communication since. But it's one of those things that in having this Zoom conversation with him, you remember why we had the friendship that we did back in high school, which for the most part was, okay, where are we going to lunch today? And that was a rotation of little porgies, Arby's, Wendy's. We go to campus sometimes. But Antonio is a federal sergeant, lives down in Atlanta. And this conversation that we had is really looking at two different perspectives here. One is a black man growing up in America and the other one as a law enforcement official. And he is someone that can speak to both of those realities in a way that I could only listen. Let's be real. That's all I can really do in something like this. So it was a really good conversation with someone who I think you'll really enjoy listening to. There's a reason that he has his own podcast. I mean, he's a natural at this. So it was a great interview that's coming up here in just a bit. It has been a crazy week, no doubt. And I think it was last Monday when all of this started with the George Floyd protest, um, the tape coming out, and the anger that ensued. And I'm not going to pretend for a second that this is not dominated even the sports world. And this is something that I think has changed a lot from when I was a kid, when the Michael Jordans of the world were at the top of mind in the sports world, and they were not political. And if I think back to my childhood and how politically active any athlete really was, I don't recall seeing it. And certainly I wasn't looking out for it as much when I was younger. But what you are finding now is that athletes feel emboldened And they feel like it's okay to speak out. And I think that's wonderful because one narrative that often gets thrown around, and I I even have it on my Twitter profile, and I haven't heard this for a while, but stick to sports, right? That could be for a sports media person or for an athlete. I'm seeing less and less of that. And even if I do see it posted on someone's wall, for the most part, I don't think anyone really takes that seriously anymore. But growing up, occasionally, I would hear maybe TV talking heads say something along the lines of a movie actor or an an athlete, hey, stick to what you do. We don't need to hear about your politics. Meanwhile, that personality on TV was talking about politics, whether or not they had the credentials to do so. While I truly think that this goes beyond politics, this situation, and this is much more of a human story, it is still a far cry from what it used to be when you see even a guy like Adam Miller. Alani Recruit, speaking out about it. Io, speaking out about it. And as 18 to 22-year-olds, I find that all the more impressive. We're going to get into a few of the things that Io has said, that, that Adam Miller has said, and really just the whole conversation going on in the sports world. This is a sports podcast, but let's be real. These worlds have intersected, where right now the sports world is essentially on pause and actively engaged in what's going on, larger issues. Let's be fair. These are far larger issues than when sports will return, which fortunately it looks like they will. Before we go any further, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com and you can get 
custom calzones with any topping that you want to. You can get some of the favorites like a Maui Wowie, a buffer zone, along with their famous dipping sauce. And here's the best thing they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's online at dpdo.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. So for life, auto, home, business, renters, insurance, whatever it may be, not only are they insurance experts, but they have your local interest at heart. They are all Champaign-Urbana residents that know about this community. And for me, that goes a long way when you're talking about things like insurance. That stuff's Latin to me. So State Farm Agent Brian Hansen again online at brianismyguy.com. And, of course, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com. And the warmer weather is here. You need some T-shirts to stay cool and look cool. And that's what you get at 4th and Kirby with vintage-inspired Illini apparel. I got a couple of T-shirts myself. And here's the deal. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level will get you 10% off your order. And this deal, buy two shirts, get one free. That's right. Buy two shirts, get one free. That's all year round at fourthandkirby.com. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Let's start with Adam Miller. And this is an article written by Scott Ritchie on newsgazette.com. You can check it out there. It was actually published this morning. And Talk about impressive. This is a high school graduate that is speaking out on these issues and doing so in a very eloquent way. He had a post over the weekend which read, Martin Luther King protested peacefully in Malcolm X during his early years of the black rights movement, did them more forcefully. Whether you protest peacefully or forcefully, they will hate you. Trump gave the okay to shoot anyone looting. Trump also called out Colin Kaepernick for kneeling during the anthem as a hate symbol of the country, and now he has no job, meaning Kaepernick. So please tell me what must be done. So that was a post that he had over the weekend, which Miller said, according to Scott Ritchie's article, that the responses to the initial post were basically split on racial lines. And then he went on to elaborate. This is from Adam Miller. Quote, it's easy for people to tell you what to do when they're not feeling what you're feeling. It's easy for people to try and direct you and say, you shouldn't be doing this. You're not in my shoes. You don't know how I feel. I don't think the looting and that stuff is right. Nowhere near my heart do I think it's right. But I feel like people over here, over us, have sparked something that they didn't want to spark. When you do something that's not right, people are going to rebel. He continues, There's some people telling me I might mess up my career or ruin my name, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my ancestors fighting for what was right. I wouldn't be playing basketball either if it wasn't for people fighting for what was right. I'm going to continue to using my voice. I want to make sure uh, I want to make this a better place for people in the future, not just for me, but for everybody right now. 18 years old, maybe 18 years old, because I think he turned 18 at some point before you get to college. And... Speaking out like this and speaking out that eloquently about an issue that is very complex. And you look at a guy like Adam Miller, it's very clear that he is careful about his brand and his image. He knows that his future is as a basketball player. And as he mentioned here, he did consider that fact before speaking out about it. But it is cool to see, especially younger kids, I'm going to use the word kid or young man, let's say, speaking out like this before he even steps foot on campus. And it is encouraging, too, to see Brad Underwood through at least a few tweets, and I'm sure in conversations that he's had with his players, embolden them that they can speak out and be active. That is, again, probably a lot different than how things would have been 20 years ago, or really, for that matter, maybe even five or 10 years ago. It seems like it's gotten to that tipping point where this notion that only a few people can speak out on this, know your role, that's basically done. And it's a lame argument. It always has been, but it certainly appears like a shallow argument. And then you have Ayo Sumu, and he was on BTN with Dave Rebson. I'm going to play this entire two and a half minute clip and just let Ayo's words do the talking. 
I, I do want to ask you, you're a South Sider. There have been demonstrations throughout the country in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Some of those have been in our city of Chicago. What is your reaction? What, what goes through your mind when you see kind of everything that's gone on from the death of George Floyd uh, up to and including the demonstrations? Yeah, um, it was a tragedy. Um, me, me first watching the video, I really couldn't watch the video because um, it was so heartbreak. It was so heartbreaking, you know, seeing um, George Floyd um, being treated like that, and um, it was just, it was just sad. And, and me being a a black man, um, an elite um, black basketball player, um, it was it's my job to help, you know, spread um, knowledge to the youth and spread knowledge to the world that um, black lives do matter. Um, black lives matter, definitely. Not saying that all lives don't matter, but black lives are the ones that are hurting right now and are the ones who need the most love. And um, hopefully, you know, every time we can come together as a nation and um, this stuff won't be going on anymore. What can you do to play that role that you feel is an important one? You know, just spreading information to the youth, just, um, spreading information to guys, um, the youth and the whole world to just try to peacefully bring people together and just try to, you know, uh, bring awareness on the fact that this is a, a problem that needs to be solved. This is a problem that's been going on for decades and, and really centuries. Um, the, the crazy part that I, how I think about it is that uh, it's been going on for so long and now we're finally starting to get it on camera. So just imagine how long it's been going on without it being on camera, how long it's been going on without people having recordings. Um, so it just makes me sick to think that um, I'm, I know positive that it's been going on for so long, but I just try to, you know, have a, a role in a society and just give my voice because I know it's people who look up to me. I know it's kids who look up to me. So by me positively, you know, going to finding a way to attack the issue, but definitely um, go a long way in helping solve the issue at the end of the day. That's Iowa DeSumo speaking today, Revson, on the Big Ten Network. Also, on May 31st, Brad Underwood, he had a post on Twitter, and there was one paragraph that particularly stuck out with me. I'll read it and explain why. Quote, I became a coach to help young people, and it is my responsibility as a leader to the many young black men in our program that I provide a safe environment where they can be heard and supported while processing emotions stirred from the harsh reality of the unfair world we all live in. And... That quote to me stands out, especially after the interview that I have coming up here with Antonio Adams, where I asked him point blank as a white guy, I don't want to be superficial in my support. I don't want to be like a bandwagon jumper because for years I was maybe a quiet sympathizer, right? But what good does that do? So now that I want to act and I think many other people want to act, what is something genuine that you can do to make a difference? And I believe the first thing that Antonio said was to just talk and listen and support the black people you know in your lives. Let them know that you care. And that does go a long way. So when I read that from Brad Underwood, as a coach of 18 to 22-year-old men, many of them black men, to read that quote in the context of the conversation I had with Antonio, it really resonated because on its face, it's simple. I'm going to support them. I'm going to listen. I'm going to let them know they care. He also references that we live in an unfair world, which is objectively true. It just is. And to say otherwise would be turning a blind eye to a lot of realities that we have. So kudos to Brad Underwood for getting out in front of it. Josh Whitman, same thing, got out in front of it. What will be interesting, and for all I know, 
sometime today after this podcast is released. Lovey will come out and speak on it. He has been notably quiet, but I would be surprised if that was because he didn't have something to say. I get the feeling that for all my criticisms of Lovey as a coach, everything that I've ever heard about him as an individual would lead me to believe that this is something that probably affects him deeply. And he will speak on it, and I would not be surprised if it's very powerful when he does. Even with the on-field stuff, right, and the questions about on-field success, he still is someone that when he speaks with his career and all of his accomplishments and his demeanor and the way that he seems to be not just respected but admired by so many of his players, it will be interesting to see him come out when he does. Inevitably, he will. And I think that he is probably, if anything, realizing that his words will carry some weight here. So that will be something to look for. And again, by the time you absorb this podcast, Lovey very well may have came out and said something. All this said, as I sit here on a Wednesday morning on a sports podcast, and at the end of it, at the end of this podcast, I'll read a review that I got recently that did not say stick to sports, but essentially was saying, oh man, I wish the sports were back. And listen, I do too. From a programming perspective, I wish it were back because I'm not a social commentator and I feel like I'm probably navigating some of these areas a little bit clumsily. I hope I'm not, but I probably am, let's be real, because it's the first time that I've actually kind of opened up and talked about this, though I feel, given the situation, that's kind of the necessary thing to talk about, that if I came on here and focused a bunch on the Major League Baseball union versus the owners, all of that seems so secondary right now. It seems petty. And in a way, it kind of is petty what's going on with them. And I could certainly talk about the NBA. It looks like they're going to come back at the end of July. Game seven of the NBA finals, I think something like October 12th. Are you kidding me? I'm ecstatic. I cannot wait for that to come back. I can't wait for football to come back. All of these things, and they will. They will come back and provide, uh, I say the word distraction, and it makes it sound like we're just going to forget about all this. I don't think that's the case, but it will provide a respite when sports come back. And you can guarantee that I will be first in line to watch a Sacramento versus Phoenix game, if such a thing even happens, and be very happy just to watch live sports again. We will get there, I promise. But as a sports podcast, I think it would be disingenuous to come on here and not talk about these things when the athletes themselves are talking about it. As you find all these sports media people, myself included, trying to navigate through this very complex issue, we're going to stumble, we're going to be clumsy about it. You're also finding that there are organizations that are really fumbling their way through this. And an example would be, let's say, the NFL. Roger Goodell comes out with a very calculated, let's say, letter talking about racial inequities and yada, yada, yada. He doesn't get to talk about this. I understand that he's going to release a statement because he has to. It's that simple. He has no credibility on the issue. Because the NFL and the way that they handled the Colin Kaepernick situation, I said it then, but I didn't say it as blatant as I should have. I think I cover a lot of what I said two, three years ago in euphemistic language so I didn't piss anybody off. I'm a very non-confrontational person at my core. But essentially, Colin Kaepernick was blackballed because he peacefully protested on the sideline. A protest, mind you, that he came up with with a military veteran that suggested a respectful way to do this is to kneel during the anthem, not turn your back on it or anything, to kneel. People freaked out about that. And as Adam Miller had put on his post, what do you want us to do? Peaceful protest? You got pissed off. Take it to the streets, looting, 
justifiably people get upset by that property damage and all of that. But essentially, how are we going to police the method of protest? That's something that I hope people consider going forward, that you can't do that. Protests are going to happen in many different ways. If you start breaking property and all that, yeah, absolutely, that needs to be dealt with. But the likelihood of those things happening is only increased when we say, hey, you can't peacefully protest either. So again, your hands are kind of tied at that point. What are you going to do? NFL, Roger Goodell, just a, you know, a statement that you read and you can wipe your butt with it. Doesn't even matter. Likewise, you have the 49ers releasing a statement again no room to talk. And San Francisco, that's a progressive city, right? But at the end of the day, that franchise sort of kowtowed to what Roger Goodell and the NFL, and even to that extent, the president who called Colin Kaepernick a son of a bitch. Don't don't forget that. Called a private citizen a son of a bitch at one of his rallies. They don't get room to talk. Really, the NFL as a whole, Vic Fangio came out and said, there's no racism in the NFL. And listen, Vic, great coach, old guy, you know, I don't think he meant anything necessarily bad by it. Maybe he's trying to do a sort of unity building. I don't even know. But at the end of the day, yes, there clearly is. And it was on display two, three years ago. So the NFL, really the whole thing, they are looking increasingly worse. They already look bad. But this is such a superficial public relations job that no one's buying it. So why even try? You also have the Cubs getting in a bit of hot water. And that ownership, by the way, think of this. They win the World Series in 2016, and within the span of a few years, all of a sudden the name Ricketts in Chicagoland makes people shudder like Sideshow Bob when he's stepping on the rakes. The Ricketts family. Speaking of which, they all have names kind of like the Flanders kids. Rod, Todd, Tim, Tom, whatever. Whichever one is the governor of Nebraska had referenced black people as you people. And I forget if this was a letter, email, transcript, something like that. But it was just within, I mean, it might have even been yesterday. Tom Ricketts had to go on Chicago Sports Radio and say, hey, you know, he didn't mean anything by it. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I I don't want to get into the area of policing everything that everybody says because that's not fair and things can be taken out of context. But... It is true that the Ricketts family has been very politically active, specifically for Donald Trump, and that doesn't look so good right now. One more point on that. I've said on Twitter a couple nights ago, I said Donald Trump is a despicable man, and that is not a partisan or political thing to say. And I really do believe that at my core. If I had kids and I were trying to impart the characteristics I want them to have to be kind to others, to be successful in life. And skip financial success, because I know while Trump has some of that, you don't need that. I say this genuinely when there is not a single characteristic of Donald Trump's that I will want my own kid to have. That's where I say he's a despicable man. The way that he talks about his own citizens, the way that he clearly lacks empathy for others. But all that said, let's not get confused here. These issues existed far before Donald Trump. We mentioned him once in this interview with Antonio, but... You have to remember that all these things were brewing under every past president. Is it worse under Donald Trump? Probably. Yeah, probably is exacerbated because he's not really conciliatory in his tone. He's a lot more, how do you say, contentious. But all these issues, they predate Donald Trump. So he is not the singular issue here. He's not helping. (laughs) Let's be real. He ain't helping, but he's not the singular issue. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Antonio Adams. Again, a friend of mine from Urbana High School, went on to play football at Illinois State. He moved to Georgia in 2012. He's a federal sergeant down there. 
apart from just wanting to reconnect with an old friend after I listened to his podcast, which again, the A Squared podcast, I highly recommend it. He's a natural at this, so you're going to find that very quickly in this interview that he knows what he's doing. But this is a conversation that I think is beneficial because of the dual perspectives that he has as a black man in America, same age as I am. Actually, we were born five days apart. I think he was October 16th. I was born October 21st, 1986. So we're the same age, but perspectives obviously different based on skin color alone, right? The experience he had growing up in Urbana as a black kid was far different than mine as a white kid, even though Urbana is a very diverse community. And occasionally we'll pat ourselves on the back and sometimes that's much deserved. But there are still issues even within the diverse communities. It's not like, hey guys, we have a diverse population, therefore everything's good. No, no, not at all. But also as a law enforcement official, he's able to offer both of those perspectives. What's the goal of this conversation? Well, one, I just wanted to talk to an old friend. So that check that. It was a lot of fun. Two, to gain some understanding and try to make sure that, all right, if I am going to be vocal about these sorts of things. I want to try to be as well-educated as I can. That's where Antonio's perspective on both sides of the coin, I think, prove very valuable. And three, what actions can we take to improve this situation? All those things we talk about, and get this, we talk sports at the end of it. Can you believe it? It's a sports podcast, and we actually hit on sports. I know, it's crazy. All right, let's get to it. Antonio Adams, co-host of the A-Score podcast, Federal Sergeant, it is the 200 level. So I'm excited to welcome on uh, someone that I knew back in high school, a friend in high school that uh, whether it be trips to Porgy's or Arby's or whatever other fast food joint in town we went to, uh, who is now a, a federal sergeant in Atlanta. And also the co-host of A Squared Podcast with Aaron Harris. You can find that on iTunes and anywhere that you find your podcast. You can find the A Squared Podcast. Uh, Antonio Adams. Antonio, as someone that grew up in Urbana, uh, and I, you were born and raised in Urbana as well, right? From birth through high school, all that. Um, most of it. You know, I grew up some in Danville as well. Okay. So I had family there as well. So, yeah, I had, you know, growing up in Urbana, I went to Leo um, for elementary school. And thank you. First off, thank you for allowing me to be on your, you know, your podcast and your show. Oh, of man. course. Yeah. So, I so in Urbana, I, growing up, you know, we would have sometimes like dinner table conversations and the word diversity. You learn that at a fairly young age in a community like Champaign-Urbana, which is great. But on one hand, I know that my experience, as much diversity as there was in the school, there was probably still a bubble that I was living in. Right. And realities or perspectives that I didn't have to deal with head on. So your experience growing up in a community like Champaign-Urbana, um, what was it like for you and what were some of the challenges that you had to face in a community that often gets that diverse tag applied to it? Correct. So growing up in Urbana, it is pretty diverse, like you said. Um, so with that diversity, you do become comfortable with um, dealing with obviously people of different races, different cultures, um, obviously different genders. So that helps you understand. You might not agree, but you're not going to disagree either because you understand that people are different. So the problem that I see that came with is this isn't just Urbana, Champagne, this is just in general, is that if me and you had an issue, we're equal, though. You know, so let's say you like you said, we love to go to Little Porgies, but you wanted to go to Wendy's that day or something <laughs> like that. And I didn't. Right. We yeah. will say, OK, we'll just meet back here after lunch is over or or you you take a day. I take a day. That's you know, that's how we work with peers. 
the problem comes when authority has those issues with racism, right? So let's say a teacher's racist. They might automatically, let's say, sit you in the back of the class or kick you out, but they know that there's a pop quiz coming up in five minutes, right? Mm. So there's little things that that cause this racism, this systemic racism in anything. And that goes to police officers as well. You know, um, I don't know how many times um, I just had this conversation um, with some officers uh, today. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I feel sorry that, you know, I've had this talk with plenty of my uncles, cousins, uh, parents of, hey, when you get in a car, you know, there's certain rules that you have to abide by. Right. Um, you know, with your hands on the steering wheel, already have your license registration out, um, you know, don't try to be um, not as combative as, as, you know, try to keep yes, no, you know, type of things. And I had that as a kid, but now I have a six-year-old kid and I'm having the same conversations with him, you know, and, and, and that's kind of where it's like, man, when does this stop? You mentioned that. And when I think of the talk for white kids, it's usually the birds and the bees. That's the talk, right? right you know, right. in using quote unquote. Yeah. And that's been something that to me, the idea of the talk for the black community first came into my um perspective with this song by Bruce Springsteen and it was written in 2000 and it was about a kid in New York City who was shot 41 times whose name escapes me but it was called American Skin it's a great song and uh, that is something that over the course of the last week has become part of this conversation the fact that you know parents are having to have this kind of talk with their kids so you got a six-year-old absolutely have you already started to go through in your mind and maybe you've already had conversations but that has to be tricky to think how can you broach these heavy subjects with a kid when you also want them to just be able to be a kid and maintain that innocence. Absolutely. So that's the, one of the parts that I struggled with, you know, my struggle growing up. Um, so a little background on me for your listeners and even for you, you know, I grew up in a single parent household, oldest of seven kids, you know, um, if I'm going to say poverty because, you know, she didn't have much money. And if she did, it was, it was distributed between seven people to put food on the table, pay the bills. Right. Even when I was in high school, you know, I, I worked and paid and gave half my money to her to pay bills. Right. So I, I know that type of struggle and I value the dollar and work ethic. Now, with me being 33 now and in a great position that I'm in, I only have one kid. So his situation is a little different. Right. Because yeah. now he's growing up where he if he wants to play baseball, he'll, he'll say, hey, Daddy, I want to play baseball tomorrow. I'm going to sign him up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um he gets a Christmas, two Christmases, multiple Christmases, you know, and he's the only kid. So he plays with himself and, and all those things. Mm. So um, that's what I struggle with as a parent is try to open up his eyes that, hey, you know, life isn't fair. Everything that happens isn't yours. You know, he, he has the, the mind, 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 but that's a single kid. You know, that's it's just that's more natural. So, yes. Yeah, so we have had these conversations um, actually starting last year when he was five with things going on. Um, even yesterday I talked to him about protesting and things like that. He might not fully understand, um, but I want to start getting those things in his head. So maybe when he turns seven and he asks questions, he knows he can come to me, come to his mom, and then we can answer those type of questions. Do you remember the first talk that you received as a kid and what it was about? I would say, um, probably I would say 10 or 11 and it's more on, um, people are going to get treated different than you. And that's more of a, a, a racial thing, right? So if you have, it was more, you know, I grew up with a lot of family uh, relatives, you know, doing drugs, 
um, getting in trouble, going to prison, things like that. Right. So they tell me that, hey, if you do one thing, you know, you're not going to get a second chance. So that's why I don't know if you remember, but, you know, I never did any drugs. Mm -hmm. I still haven't done any drugs. I didn't drink till after I graduated college because that always stuck with me that that one time I do this. That's going to be the time, even though we used to go to plenty of parties and they get raided or cops would come oh. through. And guess, <laughs> and guess what? And guess what? I would go out the front door because mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't drinking. Right. I didn't have yeah. to run through the back or sneak and hide in a closet. But because I knew I'm good, I didn't partake in anything. So that always stuck out to me that, you know, life is not going to give you second chances. But some people do. But that's the kind of the conversation that I had at a young age. You mentioned earlier that. um you didn't necessarily feel, uh, in terms of peer-to-peer -peer relationships, there there was an equality or banana that, you know, I feel fortunate that we were able to experience that as opposed to an example would be at a, a student taught at a very small school, very positive experience overall, but there were things that I saw there that I'm like, well, we didn't see that at Urbana. And I was trying to make sure that I wasn't just being nostalgic about it. But you mentioned the authority part of it. So it could be teachers. It could be uh, police officers. And there was a presence at Urbana of police officers. Uh, what was maybe something that you would have to consider in a classroom setting that I may not have? Um, I would say patience. Um, so I guess I was very fortunate that I did good, get good grades, right? I did pay attention, um, you know, even in, in college, you know, I played football at Illinois State. So I was one of the ones where I'm like, man, why are my teammates going to class? Like if this football <laughs> thing doesn't work out, you still have to get a degree, right? Or you just wasting four years. Right. So, and, and I realized, okay, I do kind of get where I'm going. But I've also noticed a lot of the African-American um, or minorities, they might not learn the same way. Right. So if you have a, a white teacher, um, male or female, and they say, OK, well, you sit in the front, um, you know, two plus two is four. Right. But somebody might see is three plus one equals four. And I think as a teacher, you have to have those patience and understand that each student is different. They learn different or that might not be their damn subject. They might be a science whiz, but, you know, English isn't good you know so right. different subjects and different teaching methods would help out and I think like I said I didn't have to uh, deal with that that much but I did notice it with other students that if a kid is acting out oh he's just he he's bad you know send him to detention or kick him out but he might be frustrated because he's not learning what you're teaching him you know so just be patient and that's one thing that I did notice um, like I said it, at Urbana but then again it could have happened anywhere Sure. You know, one thing I notice is I'm a teacher over at Jefferson Middle School now, so sixth graders, and we will have a lot of professional development. And I know that it's all well-intentioned and oftentimes the advice is probably worthwhile and things that we could use. But when it comes to race relations and Champaign, basically the student population makeup is a third white, third black, and then a third Hispanic, Asian, other ethnicity. So very diverse, right? Uh, but I find that I'm checking myself because I don't want to be the patronizing white teacher that is so transparently trying to be uh, I'm trying to think of an example like uh, there's some teachers that go so far as to um, hey kids I checked out uh, Drake over the weekend and right. the kids kind of right. groan they're right. like yeah whatever whatever right. <laughs> do, you, do you remember um, any maybe just even Urbana High School teachers that maybe while well-intentioned they may have 
step too far to the point where they weren't being authentic and it didn't pass the smell test. Yeah, um, I would say you're kind of on the same lines of, you know, trying to use the same slang. I know when we were in high school, like Thug Bizzle was a big thing and just certain <laughs> things like that. <laughs> you know, I used that in an interview once and it didn't go so well. So just let you guys know. <laughs> but um, I think I think more slang, you can kind of tell, like, what are you talking about? Because mm-hmm. they always use it in the wrong context. Right. But I would say for you, um, obviously, sports is a good way to uh, relate to kids. Mm-hmm. And if you learn more about them of, you know, hey, are you uh, the only sibling? Do you have siblings? Um, are both of your parents in your household? Right. So at least that kind of conversation, if it is a single mother and they have two or three kids, OK, did you stay up late? You know, mm-hmm. why are you so sleepy in my class? Did you have to stay up late and watch babysit? Right. Or did you have to clean up? Did you whatever it is? I think when you start hitting the home aspect, right, then that could, they can relate more. And then now you and that student could have a better relationship. So when they do get a bad grade, you could have that conversation with them. Like, Hey, what's going on here? We have to tighten this up yep. compared to it's a bad grade. All right. On to the next test, you know, and they, they can't get out of that hole. The sports come easy. It's all about the NBA. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I feel like when we were in high school, the NFL, I mean, cause the NBA, that was sort of in that, I guess the Kobe era, post-Jordan, but we grew up with Jordan, right. and then right, there was right. that sort of, you know, it had to get some fans back and all that, but it seems to me like today, I mean, last year there were countless LeBron versus Curry debates, and I'm like, I can't stay quiet. I mean, it's LeBron. This yeah. isn't even an argument, yeah. and we would have some fun with it, but I, you're right. It, it is that that authenticity. Um, I, I got the sports thing, at least, but I have been finding that, yeah, finding those personal angles are important, and what's interesting about this whole wider conversation going on this last week is that I feel more encouraged than ever. And again, this is coming just from kind of a macro view of it, that some of the nuance in this conversation, which so often gets lost, um, is actually being talked about. And specifically, you mentioned protest earlier. I think you'd mentioned that to your son, just the idea of protesting and all that. And a poll came out tonight, actually, that uh, Reuters found that 67% of Americans are sympathetic to the protesting and that includes you know all the negative side effects of protesting right or i guess the looting part of it which uh again that's a whole social discussion too yeah, that's that's crazy uh but yeah do you feel as if because it's sort of like the school shooting epidemic oh well after sandy hook change is going to be you know we're actually going to see change nothing happens uh do you feel optimistic or do you feel maybe a little bit or cautiously optimistic, cynical, pessimistic? How are you feeling about the possibility that this at least will bring some kind of reform? So um, me personally, um, I think, let's say, take let's go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, when you had the, obviously the darker Martin Luther King era. Um, there was all, always, at least from what I've seen and what I hear from my grandparents and, and other relatives like that, it was always hope, right? It was always, let's fight for this equality. Now we get to vote, right? That's a big win, right? Now we can be police officers. At first, African-Americans or minorities couldn't be police officers. So now we can be that, you know, we can join baseball. Think about that, right? Or play basketball. <laughs> right. Like, all these things are, are new at that time, but there were wins of, okay, we do see somebody of color in these positions, right? So now we're 33, we received all of this and we're not seeing really much change. So I think that's kind of what boiled over that we didn't, we don't see any wins. We keep seeing, well, I guess Barack Obama was a win, right? 
but that would be one in our lifetime of we need some wins. And when um, African-Americans and minorities are feeling like we're not even equal. I know I said this on my podcast that, you know, we're fighting to be zero, right? We're not, we're not asking to be more than anybody. It's just, we're just trying to fight to be equal. And I use the same example of like women are trying to fight to get the exact same pay as men. They're not asking for more, but the same job. They just want the same. And so when that's not happening, that's when you get this uproar. So um, I'm, I'm on the side of these protesters right now, heavily, even though I am in law enforcement, that doesn't mean anything. You know, I was a black male, October 16th, 1986, right? Way before a police officer. Mm -hmm. And I'll be one after I retire, right? So I have to fight for our future. And I think these past couple of weeks, this weekend has been very archaic and uh, anarchist and, and very violent, but I think it's time to wake up, right? It's not, it's not, we can't sleep this under the rug anymore of the inequality that we're seeing. So, so I, after this weekend, I'm very optimistic about it. I am too. And I think just from a community level, seeing Champaign-Urbana, there was a little bit of looting on Sunday, which ultimately, not to downplay any of it, right? I mean, property damage, of course, and that's an unfortunate effect of it, but it, it paled in comparison. I mean, just from a sheer number standpoint to what happened here on Monday and you mentioned Barack Obama, and I, I look back to 2008, and we would have both been, I think, senior year of college at that point. Yep. And the excitement that was surrounding that, I mean, you know, you want to feel a part of change, that is the perfect age. If you're in college during something like that, you just get swept right. up in it. And yet, right. it seemed as if a lot of that got turned into, hey, racism's over. I'm talking about you know, a lot of white people, that whether they said it or not, it was, well, I agree. there was a black president, so we're good. Yep. And uh, yeah. I, I feel like no fault, of course, of Barack Obama. I mean, he he signaled in a lot of, of positives just by virtue of being the first black president. But a side effect that I never would have considered was that, uh oh, now there yeah. might be some there might be some blowback from yeah. this. Yeah, I agree. Um, I forgot. Somebody said each president sets the table for the next president. Right. So I think. So even though we got Barack Obama, I think having Bush of everybody hating him at that time and obviously 9-11, which they didn't say Bush started it, but he was during that time. Right. I think that opens up the doors that we need something different in here. You know, we, we need things to change, which i.e. turns into Barack Obama. Now, after Barack Obama's eight years, I think the votes went the opposite way of, hey, we need somebody different. We need change. And then that's when we get Donald Trump. Right. So. Hopefully, you know, 2020, we, you know, might go the opposite way, or at least it's opening up people's eyes that, you know, uh, you know, this racism, it was, it was a cold civil war that a journalist said, we've been sitting on a cold civil war yeah. that, you know, hopefully this, this riot doesn't start, but it's starting to bubble up. Man. Donald Trump is the elephant in the room. It, yeah. it's, <laughs> and it's, he is certainly not the singular problem in all this, but it would almost be, you know, I, I feel like anytime I say that, it's like, guys, this isn't a political statement. I'm just saying he's a bad dude as, yeah. a, as a person. And uh, and I don't even have kids to raise now. And I'm thinking, what would I tell them about this guy's character? And <laughs> and on top of that, um, you mentioned Bush. And I remember distinctly at the start of college was Hurricane Katrina and the bungling of that. And that right. seemed to really signal the downturn um, because he rode that 9-11 wave for a little bit, rah, yeah, rah, he, American yeah. and stuff. But man, yeah. Katrina turned it around. And I'm feeling as if 
um, especially with some of the initial reaction. I'm not seeing the um, kind of solidarity behind Trump for this more militaristic response to protest. Uh, as someone in law enforcement, you, you know, we'll see some looting and actually quite a bit of it last night in New York City. But the militarized aspect of policing, that's a whole complex issue there. Um, does it help? Does it hurt? Uh, what, what do you think it does for community relations if they see a police officer, but now he's in full riot gear with a AK-47 or whatever? So um, I would equate that to your wife says you need to talk, but she has a knife in her hand. <laughs> Right. So it starts the conversation off in a certain tone. Hey, we need to talk. Mm. Uh, well, uh, I'm going to call you later. I'll be back, you know, type of thing. So, yeah. you know, if that's that's we call those, you know, pre assaulting indicators or pre, you know, like that. Those are like a fight stance. Right. If um, they teach us if somebody's coming up to you and you have to question them or whatever it is, but they got their hands balled up. They're, 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 you know, not looking at you in the eye. They got a foot back. They're in their fight stance that we call it. That means they're ready to fight. It doesn't mean that they're trying to talk, right? So if we're already approaching a situation in full riot gear, a shield, baton out, OC ready, then it's hard to have civil conversations, right? Any human is always going to get fight or flight. It, everybody has it in them, right? Or freeze. That's another one. But fight or flight is the, most, the, the, the two common ones. Mm -hmm. So um, if you haven't noticed, um, a lot of um, police agencies are starting to put their shields down, right? The, the where and joining the protest. And those ones are very civil. Those ones are very productive. Those are, are also going viral as well, those videos. So it's more of a listen to us type of thing. You know, obviously these, these looters, there was a stat in um, New York, I think, so 700 people got arrested over uh, the weekend, mm -hmm. right? 700 plus. One in seven did not have New York um, license. Yeah. Like, just imagine that. So it's like people from different states are coming there and just for destruction. So it's not all New Yorkers. It's, it's kind of plants in there and just try to want to cause chaos. But I think um, as law enforcement, we're here to protect and serve. So we should start doing that. A question that's really been kind of uh, percolating with me is it seems like there's two narratives on the opposite side of the spectrum, and uh, they're both common. One is the bad apple or the bad seed, and that 99%, and I think even it was one of the uh, high officials in the Trump cabinet had said, you know, 99%, 99.9%. Okay, well, I don't know what the numbers would be, but that would be the bad seed argument or bad apple versus systemic racism. Right. And again, back to this, you know, really complex issue that there's so many gray areas involved with it, I'm sure. But do you feel like the bad apple argument is I feel like there's accuracy to it. But at the same time, when it's used, it is downplaying the systemic part right. of it. I think um, you can only get away with the bad apple for so long. Right. So even let's use the same analogy. If you have 10 apples and one's rotten in your refrigerator. Are you going to allow those other nine apples to be around the, the rotten one, right? At some point, you have to start taking responsibility to either get that rotten apple out or get those nine out, those nine good ones away from the rotten. So, you know, you can only use uh, that's the rotten apple. But if you knew that, what are you going to do about it, right? 
So that's where I think where your point is, you can only get so far with saying the rotten apple aspect in, in scenario. You know, you, we have to start doing stuff. And I, and I use that on the podcast that it's in every profession, right? Don't, obviously it's in law enforcement as well, but it could be your teacher. I, I know I said that I'm like, Hey, if you know a teacher's really getting real handsy with a, a student or, or abusing his power, say something, do something. Don't just jump. Don't just become that's, I don't know. I use John Smith as a normal. Okay. That's his normal. He just does that to students. No, that shouldn't be okay. Right. Yeah. I, I heard that in the last episode of your podcast and I, I had just thought of that on Saturday, just trying to, it, it's so difficult because it's apples and oranges, certainly with the duties that come with each profession. But I was cool. thinking, okay, teacher does something like this and I'm thinking, well, how would the teachers union respond to it? And I'm thinking, well, I would hope they'd come down hard on it and say, we're investigating. They're suspended without pay until further notice, whatever. Um, And I know it's not that simple because, you know, the thing with policing, I would never sign up for it because it seems like an immensely difficult job. I do not envy anyone in that position. So that's that's where I would start the argument. Um, So for you, though, being in that profession what levels of accountability do you want to see for your peers and what benefit would that do for you and other law enforcement people that are doing right by their profession? So, um, so I'll, I'll go back to what you just said of law enforcement is difficult. It is difficult. Um, so that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to leave the state. You know, when I went to college and got my associates, uh, um, my sociology associates and a criminal justice degree, you know, in Illinois state, I wanted to leave the state because I, you know me, man, I was what homecoming King, uh, superstar since yeah. what, sophomore year. Like, <laughs> so a lot of people knew me mm-hmm. and I'm like, I do not want to put myself in a situation where I know someone and I hesitate. Right. I'm like, Oh shit, that's Mike. What's up, man. And then, <laughs> but I'm in a bad situation. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to be in that situation. So that's what, that's exactly why I left the state. Um, because I didn't want anything to taint um, how I felt about a situation because I didn't know you. So I'm going to treat everybody the same. Um, so then what I want to see is I think officers have to check their egos. Um, I know that's very hard to do. You know, when you have somebody cursing you out or you have somebody who is big and tough and, and talking crazy, but you want to prove to them that you're tougher than them. Right. That's not your job. If, if they become a threat to you and other people, that's when you go hands on. But if they're, you got to think as law enforcement, they say, we, we talk to people at their worst part of their lives sometimes, you know, even Very though true. my day could have been perfect. I just got the call. I'm responding, but you, you could have been in a bad wreck. You could be getting divorced tomorrow. Your kids might hate you. You know what I'm saying? So all this brings two different stories, bring us together. Right. So we have to understand that we have to be empathetic and understand and don't be quick to judge. And um, hopefully just starting with that will lead to better results. When you left Illinois for Georgia and Atlanta, what are the biggest differences in terms of community police relations? Again, from Champaign-Urbana's perspective, there have been issues, um, Namely, with Champaign Police Force, they've been trying to do a lot of uh, community outreach within the last decade based on some things that had happened earlier in this in this century that um, the Kwame Harrington shooting being one of the big ones. But uh, yeah, what is the are there stark differences or do you find that even transplanting from Illinois down to Georgia that uh, those relations are often similar? Um, so 
I didn't spend, you gotta think like I left after high school. So by then I knew I wanted to go into some type of law enforcement or, or helping, you know, like first responder type of thing. But growing up, I really, that was really not my focus. You know, it was more sports. So I can't relate um, Illinois law enforcement to Georgia um, because, you know, growing up, you know, you see police officers, you want to be them and they're cool. But then again, I, when you get down to the nitty gritty, I, I really can't answer that. But from what I've seen from Georgia, um, I know there's a lot of, so Atlanta's a little different, man. Atlanta's tricky. So if you think of Atlanta, it's 500,000 people in, I don't know the numbers, but let's say 300,000 are minorities. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the opposite of the issue, right? So a lot of LBTQ um, community, a lot of minorities, a lot of women, a lot of, um, you know, they own these businesses. So they try to take care of each other. Now, outside of Georgia is where the numbers switch drastically. So um, a lot of police officers and myself try to work very hard on um, our public relations, man. Um, it, and I'll give you a story today. So um, I worked this morning. So, you know, I've been in Atlanta for almost eight years now. And um, when I got here, I didn't know anybody in 2012. It was my duty. Since I didn't know anybody, I'm going to start meeting. I have to meet people because it's going to be a long road if I don't. I, you don't have a problem with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so. Um, I got out in the community. I volunteered a lot. Um, you know, I made friends at the workforce, everything, you know, I met their families, you know, at my first year here, I had people at my birthday party. Like, imagine that, like that's we all good. went out, I had like 12, 13 people. And I'm like, I didn't know any of these people last year. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's just me. I love getting out in the community. Um, when I'm in my uniform, I'm happy. I'm talking to people and people wave back, say hi, talk, whatever it is today after this weekend, I'm walking out and you can tell it's a little bit different, you know, after this weekend, you know, it's a real divide between civilians and law enforcement. So I do my normal, Hey, how you guys doing? You know, waving at people just when they make eye contact, nobody waved back. People got their head down. It's like, you know, it's a real divide and it makes mm -hmm. it very tough that obviously that one bad apple, which there's many of them, but one law enforcement officer messes it up for the, the good ones, I would say. So that's kind of what battling I'm fighting today in the future to try to get that positive equity back. There have been plenty of videos, and we just watched a documentary two nights ago called LA 92 about the Rodney King riots in LA. And also before that, it was within one week, you have a Korean convenience store owner who had shot a 16-year-old black girl. She gets five years probation, so no jail time. And then the Rodney King uh, acquittal of those four officers and right. we all know what happened next, but um, why is it? Well, and I know the answer is obvious, right? To, to a certain extent, just from the gruesomeness and the drawn out nature of it. Why is this George Floyd thing after Ahmaud Arbery and after Breonna Taylor and then the countless list? Why do you think this is resonating with people for whom some of these previous stories may not have resonated as much? So I think the Aubrey um and this one are the same so and i'm gonna explain why why they needed each other so you have um aubrey who was you know i'm gonna say assassinated in february mm -hmm. but it took three months you know in georgia for that video to come out right three months and so that's a race problem these 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 two white males were not police officers but they're white and they hunted down a black male right so that kind of 
turn the fire on on this this boiling pot mm-hmm. on how does this happen and three months later we finally see a video now you guys convict these two officers of murder or these two individuals of murder right so that's an issue in itself and then what is it two or three weeks later you have this george uh, floyd incident which that is a white officer on a black individual unarmed and you have him in handcuffed and it's four officers and you keeping your knee on his neck for eight minutes those two things combined and i think that's what popped the top right there you know um especially with covid19 out here you know as, as a as an african-american male man you gotta think we got shit we can get i'm sorry for cursing but we can You're get <laughs> we can get you know covid19 just like anybody else and you know there people minorities are losing their job just like not like white people you know but now when you still have to worry about losing your life just for going jogging just for having a 10 or $20 counterfeit that you might not even know that you had. Right. And you could lose your life over these things is unacceptable. And I think what happens sometimes is that the argument for people that will say, well, I like a peaceful protest, but uh, you know, and, and losing some of the nuance there. I think what happens is I was reading about the Watts riots in 1965. So this is 27 years before the Rodney King stuff, but it's in Los Angeles. And it was a case where, uh, possible drunk driver um but of course they never really found out for sure and then they just beat the crap out of him and i think his mom got beat up too and it sparked this week-long riot and then there was a commission afterwards that suggested changes that los angeles could make to improve relations between the community and uh especially the black community in south central and the list was uh Let's see, improved mass transportation, uh, better education, uh, higher paying jobs, low income housing, uh, things that would actually improve their lives. So it's not just about police brutality. It's about more than that. And then the article ended by saying none of these reforms were implemented. So essentially nothing changed. And right. it just leads me to think that, you know, for people that end the argument of saying, hey, it was a cop who did a bad thing. I'm thinking, well, it's probably more than just the frustration, as, as much of a frustration it is to see that video, when there are social things in place that just make it that much harder for black communities to get the same, you, like you said, get to zero. Yeah, It's not about being plus three or plus five. It's just getting Correct. to zero, equalizing. You want to get to zero. Correct. You're trying to get your bank account to even. You don't want these withdrawals all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you're not worried about a savings account at that point, right? Sure. You we're not trying to save anything. We're just trying to make sure that nothing else is coming out. And I think it comes with trust, man. I think trust is huge. You know, when we start seeing the changes, um, and I say that as we, as in, you know, I'm one of these people, you know, when I start seeing changes and what I'm seeing, you know, me being a, a sergeant now, I do have you know, a little bit of power of kind of overseeing when I see that an officer might need extra tactics, right? Or um, need to work on their empathy or um, sensitivity, whatever it is, I can kind of oversee that and start molding them to see that what they're doing is not okay. And if it is okay, then those will be documented and, you know, disciplinary action, or you're not going out to all these calls. So um, that's what I'm trying to do within the system, you know, and, and try to better, I'm sorry, I got 
cats running around and stuff. So try to <laughs> try to make sure that, you know, it's better for all of us. You know, those little things, you know, one percent is in a hundred, but it's one, you know, so at least start chipping away at the block. I'm going to give you an impossible question to answer. Okay. How do we, we is a big word, I know, but how, how do we fix this? Is it as simple as improve community relations? Is it uh, massive law enforcement reform, um, whether that be, you know, specifying when the use of force is appropriate or demilitarizing. I mean, there's a lot of things that are getting thrown around and then eventually there's so many possible solutions that it becomes a bit of a muddled mess to sift through. So from your perspective, what are some solid steps that this country could take? So um, I sit on obviously both sides, you know, so I'll speak from a civilian standpoint. I would say um, law enforcement and lawmakers, um, we have to do better. We have to become more empathetic. We have to understand. It's okay if we don't understand, but don't listen, you know? So listen, um, I would say as a, uh, also as um, <clears throat> being on my side, we have to start voting. We have to vote. You know, some people who are, are making these laws are not for us. You know, that's really more about the dollar. At this point, we're not... Our, a dollar is on our agenda, but we are working on survival mode right now. You know, we have to try to raise kids, man. So that's, we have to vote more. Now in law enforcement, I would say, um, if you're out there to any of your listeners and you feel like obviously police are doing the wrong thing and you feel like you have a good head on your shoulders, help me, join me, you know, help me fight the system within as well. You know, you might not trust it, but if you're one of the good guys, that position could go to a bad guy. Right. So if you're one of the good guys and you can do pass all the tests, come help us. You know, there's plenty of great officers that I know. You know, I've learned so much by being here in Atlanta, meeting great, great uh, men and women, you know, who are who are frontliners, even firefighters, whatever they do, um, EMTs. So if you feel like you can be a first responder, we need your help. Last question to kind of piggyback off that. I noticed that the uh, within the last week, I asked you about the George Floyd video and why you think it sort of sparked this. And you mentioned how the precursor was the Ahmaud Arbery case and how that kind of lit the fire and then the powder cake blew with George Floyd. Right. Right. And I felt that for me, but on, on, the other token, on the other side of this token, I'm thinking, okay, am I a bit of a phony to only now say, you know what, I'm gonna act. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to be that guy that seems almost like bandwagon. Okay, team, when I've been, for the most part, 33 years, more of a, like a silent sympathizer. And at the end right. of the day, what good is that? It's not. Right. So what would you say to, let's be real, the white people that today, you know, we put the black, uh, the solid black pictures black on our Instagram and all black that. Black right. Yeah. What, what would be some actual steps they can take beyond just lending a voice right so actually um lately like i said i've had a lot of great um <clears throat> a lot of people that people i've had the same number for 17 years mark so since i was 16 i've had the same number so at this point if somebody's texting me and i don't have your number it's either you have a new number or i don't know who you are right because yeah, yeah. i've had the same number forever so i have numerous people texting me checking up on me Right. To make sure I'm OK. They know where I'm at. I'm in Atlanta. They were rioting and they know I'm a police officer, but they also understand I'm a black male. Right. So just check up on your minority people and see how they're doing. 
And let's say you disagree with how they're doing, it doesn't matter. Listen, I would say that's one. Listen is one. Second, I would say is being a white male or white females if they're, if they're listening. I would say you guys are actually have the power as well because you, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's group texts and chats that I can't get into or meetings that I can't get into or even a part of. So when you start to hear the, the funny, whoa, what is, what is that? What does that mean? You know, type of conversations, that's when you check it, right? So if, if you're not a protester and you're not, hey, I don't want to put that stuff on social media, that's, hey, that, that's fine. But when you're in these board meetings, when you're in these group chats, um, when you're just having lunch, a group lunch, and it's all white people around and they start having these type of conversations, just try to check them, you know, and say, hey, maybe you don't fully understand that situation. Or um, that's not true what you said, even because you might know the facts and they might not. They just going off of opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. You might have the facts. Say those facts, because sometimes silence is acceptance, you know, and that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Uh, there are so many things in my in the back of my mind, uh, things left unchecked at, uh, you know, larger family functions or at right. a place that I worked before where. I'd sit there and I'd probably have this like pursed lip, like what the hell? Like don't know. And I'm so non-confrontational that I'm like, whatever. But it, it, that, that's what I want to avoid personally. And I, I hope from a larger perspective, other people, it's so easy for these things to come and go and just kind of wash away from the front of our minds. Right. And then we just kind of go about our day. It's well, it's certainly easy for white people to do that. Like, Oh yeah, well that was pretty bad. And then they go on with their day. Um, and I, I've just noticed that within the last week, I, I feel like potentially just anecdotally talking to other people, this truly may have been a straw that broke the camel's back, to use yeah. that phrase. I feel like this is um, a true wave that goes beyond um, beyond just the black community that's had to deal with this. I feel like there's a lot of just white people that are like, you know what? This is BS. This is ridiculous. Right. And that's good. And that's good. We need we strength is in numbers all the time. You know, like I said, you, if you guys want to take the front line, take the front line. You want to take the middle or the back, do it, but at least be with us, you know, um, because it's hard. It's hard. I mean, it, like I said, everybody has their own their own struggles. You know, women have different struggles than men. You know, um, whatever ethnicity has a different struggle than other ethnicities. So I think as, as, as a whole, we just have to be empathetic and understand that people are different. That That's what makes America America. Right. So give everybody the same equality American dream. You know, don't don't step on somebody's American dream. Tell us about your podcast a little bit. Uh, I've only checked out the last couple episodes, but I love it, it seems to me. And then just kind of reading about back on some descriptions of past episodes that there really is no parameters yes. in terms of what you guys are going to talk oh. about. So that's one of my um, there is no contract, obviously, but that's one of my contracts is we want to throw our listeners off every time. We don't want you to see that. Oh, it's the A Square podcast. So we started in 2019 in May. We just reached our one year. So, you know, we're very happy about that. Sure. We have about, I think, 60 shows by now. We, we try to do one a week and occasionally two a week if we have certain interviews and stuff like that. But that was one of me and uh, DJ Aaron's. We wanted to make it as random as possible, right? So you're going to get the same jokes and passion, but we're going to talk about, you know, um, real estate. We're going to talk about 
um, we're going to have different interviews. We're going to talk, we're going to have NFL players on and we had them come on. We had, um, during Valentine's day, we had a matchmaker come on talk about that. You know, we had, um, a a famous, um, newscaster in Atlanta, her name's Jovita Moore. We had her come on, you know, so we want to talk about the array of things. And that's kind of what our podcast has become that, people are starting to stay tuned and wonder who you're going to have next. That's what we always want to keep you guys on your toes. And so hopefully we've done that in the past year. Um, If you haven't, like you said, you, you start checking out the past couple of weeks, you know, um, if you don't mind sharing it and I'm going to put this up too. So that other people can see this interview, you know, as well, you know, um, we appreciate the support, man. We're getting good feedback. Um, People are always calling me. Who's the next person you're interviewing? Mm. But I'm not going to tell them, you know, because (laughs) I want them number one to tune in. And it, it's subjects that you just wouldn't think about. And we have professionals come on and talk about it. Yeah. When this whole pandemic thing started, we kind of naturally gravitated towards other topics just because there's there's no live sports to talk about. And when they come back, you bet your ass I'm going to be talking about it. But um, I, I think even before that, in my mind, I was thinking, I'd like to stretch this out. So I kind of did so out of necessity. Uh, but I also find that, you know, I'm getting less and less of the Hey, stick to sports, pal. I'm getting less of that (laughs) because I think, I think everyone just sports at the moment are secondary. I'll be happy when they can be in front of mind again. Uh, but that even when they are, that doesn't negate the fact that there's so many other things that we can't be talking about. So I would highly recommend, uh, for the couple episodes I've listened to, uh, within a year, you guys, you guys got it down. It's, it's a really tremendous uh, podcast and I'll be sure to share it and it's available. I know I get it on my iTunes, but also I'm guessing any place where I go play. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere on YouTube. Um, we do we do some YouTube videos, but, you know, that takes up a lot of space. So mm. we just put it on really where the podcasts are. But cool. yeah, please, please follow, man. We'll do. All right. So uh, I have one question for you, man, before we get out of here. Too, yeah, man. sure. So I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a Colts fan. If you can see this. Man. Yes, so, yes, um, yes. So, so tell me. So tell me what's up with uh, who, you, who you got for this year in the NFL, man. Not the Bears. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, even though I, I, I feel like they're being really underrated. I think the defense is going to be fine. And even okay. if it's Nick Foles starting, they really only need to score 20 points a game to probably go like 10 and six. That is true. Oh man. Uh, in terms of who I like out of, let's start with the AFC. Give me two names. I mean, two teams and AFC, two teams in the NFC. Give me the Texans because it, it's so easy to just say, okay, the chiefs, they're, no, I mean, right, we, right, we know right. how difficult it is. Certainly not going to be right, the Patriots. Right. They're they're done right. for what it is. Right. Uh, so I'll, I'll take Deshaun Watson and the Texans. I, I feel like we saw within that first quarter and a half in Kansas City last year what they can do before right. they just folded. And part yeah. of that was on O'Brien for – well, wait, is O'Brien still the coach in the Texans? I think he is. Uh, yeah, he is because he got rid of Hopkins. That's right. Okay, well, that might be a bad pick on my part then. And then they brought in that, the <laughs> running back um, – David Johnson, yeah, is it David which, Johnson, David Johnson from the Cardinals, David right? Johnson. And then the NFC—that probably is a bad pick already. Uh, the NFC—it's not going to be the Bucks. Sorry, Tom Brady and Gronkowski. It's not going to be the Bucks, even though I do like Bruce Arians as a coach. Um, I could see. Let's see here. Not the Rams. Not. I'm, like, I'm liking the Saints are always good in the regular season, and then they they mess it up in the playoffs, man. Saints, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, even at home, which is weird yeah, because they're so home, good at home, but then they get those yeah. big playoff games at home and something happens. Uh, you know, I could see one last hurrah for Breeze. I, the thing with the NFL is we've learned that apart from the Patriots, you don't see – I can't put the 49ers in the Super Bowl again. For all I know, they're going to go 9-7. and seven. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't either. Same thing with the Chiefs. As good as Mahomes is, I, I could see them having a great offense, but the defense just sucking. They go 10-6, yeah. and six, lose the wild card round. So if I'm making picks, I'm going with – God, I guess – you know what? I'm going to switch. I'm going to go Ravens. Okay. I'm going to go Ravens because Lamar Jackson and great defense. And then I will go with uh, – I like your Saints pick. I like one last ride for Breeze and Peyton as they uh, okay. end things down there. What about you? I like I like um so I would say Ravens and Colts. I really I'm really liking the Colts. So last year I I thought it was our year. Andrew Luck, we're good. We got a solid defense coming back, great offensive line. It, we're good to go. And then he retires. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in August, so, wasn't it? It was the first okay. or second preseason game, I think. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was terrible. So um so I think we we're geared up to make those big moves now. You know, we got um Buckner from uh, the 49ers. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, we picked up Phillip Rivers, drafted a, 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 a like the number two running back and a good receiver, you know, to help out T.Y. Hilton. So I'm really liking our chances this year. Um, like I said, I would choose them in the in the Ravens, like you said. And then NFC, um, I would say Saints. And I'm liking what the Cowboys do, but yeah. I think this is their last year in that window you know, especially with the quarterbacks and they, they just spend too much money and that hurts in football. You can't have five all-stars on your team. And then no, no. You, have, you have to pay the offensive line, defensive line, corners, safeties. Those are the, those are the positions that win you the games. It's hard to sustain when you, when you have a setup like that. And that's what Jerry Jones does. He pays big bucks to about five guys. And then you find that there's just massive flaws. And the thing that makes the NFL really frustrating for me is it really is this simple. If the Bears simply would have drafted, I'm not even going to say Mahomes because no one really expected that. Right. But there's no reason that you don't draft the national champion, four-year starter, Deshaun Watson. I don't It's that simple. And because Mitch Trubisky actually came here to Champaign. He played with North Carolina in 2016. Love his first year. He was fine. Whatever. He wasn't Deshaun Watson. It's just right. that simple. It was we saw it on tape. There was plenty of tape that said this guy's legit, and they uh, apparently didn't even interview him. <laughs> and that's a problem. That's a problem. It's sick, man. It's sick. But I appreciate it though, man. Yeah. So uh, I'm still at this point. Give me any sports. Um, baseball's looking tenuous at best if they're going to come back yeah. or not. The NBA, at least, that's looking positive. Playing down at uh, Disney World and having like a basketball dome. And I think the setup would be that really from morning until like midnight game, 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 game. And I'm thinking I have not been following the regular season, but you can bet my TV will just be on all day. March madness. Yeah, pretty much. But that that helps out the economy too, because now people are going to start going out back to bars. Absolutely. You know, restaurants ordering out more, you know, I, I know they had a stat where, um, so many restaurants had a access, like extra chicken wings because March Madden didn't happen, <laughs> right? And they just had to throw them away. They got a surplus. Or, or, or they were given like, you know, 30 wings for $5 because right, they had right. to get rid of them and sell them. So I think that will obviously boost the economy of sports as well. So. It's summertime. Everyone's ready to get back out. And sports, you know, I think we are finding that sports are – are more than just a diversion. They, they really are part of our DNA. And if, you know, to kind of wrap this up in a totally cheesy way, this is so cheesy, but it is a unifying thing. If, if you think about it, um, and that's okay. You know, that's okay that even if it is something as superficial as a game, uh, at least for those two and a half hours, it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, it's good. We can escape our lives and be entertained. So it's good. 
Antonio, it was awesome catching up with you. I hope uh, you're staying safe down there. Is the situation, I mean, you said you felt optimistic about it. It seems like really apart from especially looting in New York, uh, that aspect of protesting has gone down kind of nationwide. Um, are you feeling optimistic about how Atlanta is going to be over the course of the next week, couple yeah, weeks? I do. I do. I do. Like I said, I think, you know, people are still protesting every day and which is great, you know, but because nobody has jobs right now, you know, we're, at, we're <laughs> so home. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anywhere to go. So they're still protesting and protesting for the, the right reasons. Um, I do see that hopefully this starts to make change in laws and just how people are treated. Um, and I, like I said, hopefully to our listeners out there, if any of you guys, like I said, hey, I don't think you're too late to join. Help us out. You know, become become part of this problem that you see. You know, help us out, man. So thank you. The A Squared Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. Antonio Adams, uh, stay safe. It was awesome catching up. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, okay? Thanks for having me, though. All right, we'll see you, Antonio. Great conversation with Antonio Adams, and we had, again, went to high school together at Urbana, and one common thing that we did junior and senior year was me, Antonio, Andrew, Asher, Sean, and Alan. That was our lunch group, so we would go to either Lil Porgies, we'd go to Arby's, Wendy's, we'd go to campus sometimes for Zaz, Antonio's Pizza Butter Slice, you name it, we kind of made the rounds, but that was our lunch crew, and... You know, just the way time kind of happens. You get to college. He went to Illinois State. I stayed at the U of I. And that contact kind of broke off. We saw each other, I believe, at the high school reunion back in 2015. But at, there are some people that you meet, and even if you don't maintain contact with them, you will always look back on the re- relationship that you had with them fondly. And Antonio certainly one of those people that there's a reason he gravitates people towards him. He did back in school. And as he mentioned, the anecdote about being in Atlanta and you know having a birthday party with 12 or 13 people just one year into living in Atlanta. That's who he is. So I, I think you could probably gather that from that interview. Someone that has the perspective as a black man in America, as a law enforcement official. And I think those conversations are beneficial because it does show the gray areas, the nuance. It is not so easy to just say, well, all cops are bad. Okay, well, then let's actually open the discussion as to why are some cops bad, right? There are systemic things that even he as a law enforcement official is able to talk about. So great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I understand, again, that we are not too sportsy right now. And that's just how it's going to be until there are sports. And even after sports come back, I do think it's okay to talk about other things. I will do my best to make sure, sort of like if you went to a concert, If I saw Bruce Springsteen, I know he's political, but I still want to hear Born to Run. So I will make sure that this is still at its core sports podcast. But I appreciate you listening to this conversation and uh, hope that you just you you didn't have to learn anything or no, I'm not going to not going to force any sort of message on people or anything like that. But uh, it was just a conversation between two people, uh, friends from high school that uh, I hope brought a little bit of perspective into this crazy conversation that's going on across the nation right now. What I hope you have is a great rest of your day. I hope that you make your voice heard however you want to. If you don't want to make your voice heard and you want to just hang back for a little bit, that's okay too. I'm not going to do any sort of purity test and say, well, you must do this or you must do that. But I do appreciate you listening to this podcast or really any podcast that we do. And you can rate and review us. And here's something that I found was really interesting, a recent review that we got on iTunes. And I appreciated what this person wrote because it was just being honest about it and that's okay. 
It reads, and this is from Misplaced Illini, four-star reviews. That's very nice of you, Misplaced Illini. This is a great podcast when we stick with sports. I know there are no sports to talk about at this moment, but I listen to this podcast to get away from COVID, politics, and just all the crap in the world in general. Just listening to him talk, I don't agree with much of Carp's politics, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy listening to sports talk. In the end, he has his opinions, and I have mine. That doesn't make him or me wrong. That just makes us different. The biggest thing for me at this point is if you can or don't feel now is the time to talk sports, then don't make a podcast. But again, that's my opinion. I can choose not to listen. Here's my favorite part of that. He can choose not to listen, right? And I hope you still do, Misplaced Illini. I really do. Uh, But I will be honest. You know, there is a selfish aspect to this in terms of recording a podcast. This is an outlet for me... um, intellectually that's a big kind of pretentious word but intellectually emotionally whatever this is a way to kind of get a load off and talk about things that are on my mind at the end of the day that's what it is especially the solo parts of it which i understand if people are like okay carp get off the soapbox but i also appreciate the fact that you said hey i can turn it off and that is true so i hope you listen but like you said misplaced alana you don't need to if you do listen I hope it's still entertaining. I think that conversation was. And yeah, I'm still going to bring the sports. And it's often going to be at the very front of these podcasts. So that way, if you want to tune out and and avoid some of these topics, which I get they can get heavy after a while, that's totally cool too. But I do appreciate you listening. I want to reiterate that because without sports, the fact that we have any listeners at all is pretty cool. So I appreciate that immensely. And I hope that you and everyone you care about are staying safe and what a world, what a year, right? And we're only in June. Okay, on that note, DPDO, online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. And 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and Kirby.com. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level at 4th and Kirby.com. Alana Inquirer and Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners in the relaunch of the 200 level. We'll be back on Friday with a podcast with John Paul. He was a professor of mine at the University of Illinois in the College of Media, a retired journalist who was with WCIA for 25 years. We'll talk about the media landscape and how it's changed over the course of his career. It's changed drastically, and it will be really interesting to get his perspective because the media is often this sort of monolithic term that people will use. Well, the media does this, the media does that. There's more nuance than that. He's going to be a good person to talk to about those nuances. And there's plenty of negative stuff with media. Oh, hell yeah. And there's some positive things too. So we'll try to cover those bases along with sports talking. And God, I hope when we come here on Friday that we can talk about a Major League Baseball agreement. We can talk about the NBA coming back. Hell yeah, we're going to talk sports in this podcast and a few other things as well. So in the meantime, stay safe, take care of each other, and we will see you on Friday. It is the 200 Level.